What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. This is Taylor Fragomeni. And together we form Bob and Jackie Joyner Kersey. Nope. You really don't know? I really don't know. Oh, my God. How does nobody ever know Uh. these damn references? (laughs) Bob and Jackie Joyner Kersey were a husband and wife, but most importantly, they were coach and athlete, Jackie Joyner Kersey fastest woman ever i believe Mm -hmm. track athlete regardless um amazing olympic gold medal track athlete Mm. bob kersey has also coached a bunch of other gold medalists um but i needed to stay in the sport realm because we're talking about sport climbing here yeah and i don't often do that these days so (laughs) Thought I would throw you an easy one, but no. No. Neither you nor Nate. <laughs> God, I swear. All right. <laughs> we're here to talk about the, the top four ways, uh, top four things you should be considering to transition your gym climbing skills over to outdoor climbing skills. Because it's not as simple as just get good in the gym, go outside, and you're automatically going to be climbing the same grades you do. Yeah, don't let the, don't let all the freakish gym comp kids fool you. No, not not <laughs> at do all. Do do that, but <laughs> yeah, there are some people who will just go outside and just crush everything. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way for the mere mortals among us. And and this is also not talking, you know, Jim to Crag ethics. This is more how to take those actual skills that you're using while climbing out to the crag. So I'm going to let you lead this one, even though you didn't get the, the <laughs> duo reference right. I sh- and I, there was no know. way I was going to get anything you said, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> if Nate can't get them, there's no way I'm going to get them. I feel like you're calling me old or something. <laughs> <sighs> no. Dated. No, you just have way more knowledge than me. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do these. So, what are where are All we starting? Right. All right. Well, we're gonna start where we start every climbing session with the warm up. Um, so, in the gym, obviously, we've got loads of resources for warming up. There's tons of climbs. Everything's yeah. curated to allow you to progress through the grades through your session. But outside, that's obviously not always the case. Uh, sometimes you get to the crag and there's not good warm ups. Maybe there's a route that is an easier grade but just has like a really nasty boulder and is like easier on either side of that and so you're doing harder moves than you want to do initially and simultaneously not getting pumped enough to be well warmed up um right. or so on there's yeah, loads super, of situations super common to go outside and not have the right things to warm up on yeah um yeah, sometimes there's just literally no options. Um, sometimes maybe you're climbing somewhere that's really sharp and you're hoping to 
get on your project mm. and you don't want to shred your skin sure. warming up on the 11A that has razor blade crimps on it. Um, so what can we do to warm up outside that is a little more creative, I guess, is the question. Um, this is where all, all sorts of fun tools become helpful. So we've all seen people with bands at the crag. That can be a great way to just kind of get your shoulders activating a little bit, start to feel the rotator cuffs engaging and warming up the backs of your shoulders and stuff like that. Those can be really great. Um, I'm a big fan of the flashboard. I think especially if you, if your goal of not warming up on easier routes is to save skin, I think the flashboard is a really great way to do that. Um, I very frequently don't hang it on the wall. Actually, a lot of the time I'll just sit on the ground and hang it. I'll like put it on my foot and yep. just do like little pulls with that. Um, I really like to do longer duration pulls until I, until I start to feel my forearms get a little warm and then I'll rest for a little bit and do mm -hmm. it again a few times. Um, and then topping it off with pulling harder and harder so that you can really warm up that, that end range max strength zone as well. That can be great. And then if you don't have all those fancy things, um, then body weight exercises are great too. You know, you yeah, can totally, you can do some jump around a little bit, you know, do some squats, do some push pushups. Uh, you can grab holds that are reachable from the ground and pull on those if you don't have a flashboard. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially if you know what the thing you're getting on is like, if, you know, if it's a thing you've tried before, when you're pulling on the flashboard, you should be, you know, warming your fingers up for those specific kinds of holds. If it's got two finger pockets, warm your two fingers up. Mm -hmm. If it's got a lot of full crimp climbing, warm those up, you know, be be pretty specific since you have the option to do that with a flashboard or even just grabbing holds on the wall. Mm -hmm. Just because it's a jug doesn't mean you have to hold it as a jug, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's also an option to do all that stuff and then like get on your project and use that to warm up a little bit too. But there's some tactics involved there as well. Um, so, you know, maybe your first time up, you skip the crux section. Maybe you can stick clip through it or you're able to clip indirect and clip up through it uh, and climb the easier parts. I think a lot of the time people in the projecting process kind of neglect the easier sections of their projects anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so warming up can be a great time to really dial everything in so that you don't punt. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, there was a... Yeah. There's a route in the red I can think of that when I was projecting around the like low 513 range, there was this 10D that all of the route except for like the second bolt was a really good warm up. And at the second bolt, there was this weird slabby crux that I hated <laughs> and it had this tiny little hole that I didn't want to grab and didn't want to pull on, and, but it was right next to a bolt. So I would climb up, I would clip the bolt, I would just hold on to the quick draw and pull through and to the next hold and then I would keep climbing. And honestly, I don't know if I've ever even done that route. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great warm up that the way. The old nylon me. jug tactic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's all sorts of creative things you can do to get warmed up. All that being said, like if there are good warm ups, um, use them. 
because yeah. it's it's nice to like have a check-in point for how you're feeling that day although that doesn't necessarily equate to how you'll perform um well i'm glad you said use the warm-ups because i i do think when people hear this kind of stuff um a lot of folks are like, oh, well, this is the better way to warm up. This is mm-hmm. the easier way to warm up. I'm just going to do this. And I think this can work, you know, it can work really well for a really experienced climber to only warm up on the flashboard and then on their project. But there's so much value in doing the easy warm-ups if they're there mm-hmm. uh, for the climber who doesn't have as much experience outside. Absolutely. And I think variety is really important too. You know, it's easy. People love their routines and getting into those. But uh, I think a common pitfall I see is that people are projecting a sport route and they'll get up to a section and maybe they're like on point still. And they'll be like, oh, it just doesn't feel right. Like take. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, like they don't even try to push past it not feeling good. Um, which right. if you if you take some time like putting yourself in situations where maybe you're trying to on site as your second warm up, something that's relatively challenge challenging for you, you get more comfortable with the unknown and being uncomfortable on the wall and just trying anyway. Um, instead of getting totally married to like this move has to feel this way or there's no way I can send. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Along those same lines, you know, if you're warming up for a hard project, I'll, I'll give you an example that is relative to me, but uh, I climb and I used to climb even more slowly than I still do. Um, but I knew I needed to climb faster to send this project I was working on. So on my warm ups, I would climb them uncomfortably fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the feeling of like climbing slow and stretching out, you know, and being really slow and deliberate as a warm up. But I knew I needed to climb faster. So got uncomfortable there. I think that's a really important thing to do if you know your project puts you in an uncomfortable place. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I think ultimately what it comes down to is don't take the warm up lightly, you know, don't just go through the motions. And don't expect that when you get outside, it's going to be like warming up in the gym where you can just go 510, 511, 512, or, you know, 10A, 10B, 10C. Now I'm ready for my 11B project or whatever it is. That's not always available outside. So you've got all these other options. Yeah. And start to pay attention when you're warming up in the gym to what the cues are that you're warmed up like how can you tell you're warmed up and ready to try hard because that's going to be the feeling that you're going to go after when you get outside regardless of the tools that you're using to do it yeah so much of this should be should be you conducting a science experiment on yourself like yeah okay i warmed up this way today i performed like shit so i don't want to warm up that way anymore i warm up this way I feel really good. So how can I replicate that outside? How can I replicate those cues that I'm I'm getting, that feedback I'm getting while I'm warming up outside? Yeah. Yeah. Good beta. Good beta. <laughs> What's next? Next is footwork because all the footholds in the gym are quite large, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Kind of, kind of oddly large in my <laughs> opinion um you know i've i've put a lot of thought into footholds and 
why all the footholds in the gym are large and trying to make smaller footholds. And what it comes down to after talking to a bunch of hold companies is that it's so much easier to shape and pour a big hold Mm -hmm. than it is a tiny little finicky thing that's super thin and might crack when you're screwing it into the wall. And you can sell those big holds for $50 each as opposed to seven dollars each and they're easier to make so why would you make little holds yeah plus like small footholds are kind of hateful sometimes and people don't really like climbing on them yeah i've got a whole you know we sell we sell three different types of footholds here diodes resistors and inductors they all serve a different purpose that will help prepare you for outdoors but I don't like them. You know, <laughs> I don't enjoy climbing on them. They suck. They're hateful. They hate me back. <laughs> yeah. um, but they do help me prepare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, depending on where you're climbing outside, maybe you don't have to worry about this as much. Like you've. Yeah. The, the, red, about the red is red has giant feet. So. But if you're climbing on limestone or maybe other sandstone, that's not as featured. And granite. Granite. Yep. I always forget about granite. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you sport climber. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, getting comfortable standing on worse footholds is very important. And it's it's kind of tricky to practice in the gym because there's obviously not a lot of options like we were just saying. Um, so there's a few drills that we can utilize in order to do that. Uh, one that I like as a starting point, if you kind of haven't explored this very much and maybe you're more of like a V3 climber, you're going to go outside and be trying 10s, 11s, maybe even 12 minuses. Um, well, you just blew everybody's brains up. You went from V grades to Sorry. Yosemite decimal scale. <laughs> Where are and we? now everybody's like, I'm a V3 like, climber you know why it and is. I go try 12s outside? What is she talking about? I... I in the gym, I primarily boulder, but yeah, outside exactly. I primarily sport climb. So yeah. I just did the conversion real quick. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, uh, if you're used to standing on massive footholds, let me just say that. Start out by on your warmups in the gym, just climbing on feet that are off route that are not as good. Because um, yeah. generally routes in the V0 to V3 range are going to have mega feet on them. Every once in a while, the setters will throw in an educational boulder and it might not, but yeah, try standing on the footholds that are on the V8 that are is next to it or stand on the sides of holds and stuff like that. that yeah, I think that's good. a really important part of it. Like, don't feel like you, you have to just downsize the foothold. Mm-hmm. Sometime it can, you know, maybe it's facing the wrong way. Uh, trying to stand on that can be really valuable in teaching you how to position your body to actually get something out of these footholds. Absolutely. Um, which is a great transition into the next drill, which I like to call worst case. Uh, this you could use off route feet as well, but you could also just use the feet that are on the route. But basically you're very intentionally going to stand on a worse part of the hold instead of standing on the best part, which isn't something that we normally do. Uh, mm-hmm. So if it's a larger foot, maybe you're standing on the the side of it instead of the top. Uh, maybe you're standing in the bolt hole instead of standing on the larger surface. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that can yeah, be. Yeah, if it's like a ripply kind of hold, stand on one of the little ripples or yeah, one of the little, like the little features of the hole. Yeah, you know, you might absolutely. look ridiculous and 
somebody is going to come up to you and be like, bro, you're allowed to stand on the whole thing, you know? <laughs> but fuck them. You're, you're trying to get better. Um, we'll see who wins out to the crag. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it's so valuable to force yourself into standing on these bad mm. things. Stand on the uh, dual text. That's a yeah, great way exactly. to practice it. And actually... Uh, once you start standing on dual text, it's not a whole lot different than standing on not, other yeah. surfaces once you believe in it, you know? It's great because you'll know real quickly if you're oh, yeah. not creating good tension in your feet, which is really important for sport climbing from an efficiency standpoint, especially, you know, a lot of a lot of people get pumped off their projects and are like, oh my God, I need more endurance or I need more finger strength. And that's the easiest place to go because our forearms are screaming at us and our tendons are tired. And so we get more biofeedback from our, mm-hmm. our hands and our arms. Um, but a lot of the time their issue isn't endurance or finger strength. It's that they're not driving through their feet. Right. Um, totally. And so there's a disproportional amount of energy being zapped from the upper body that could be sent into our legs, which generally get a lot less tired mm-hmm. <laughs> over the course of a climb. Yeah. And I'll say this too, like gyms because of the like bib, big bulbous holds that you're always climbing on sort of reward climbing in really soft shoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And outside, especially as the terrain gets closer to vertical, the holds get smaller, soft shoes become really hard to climb in Mm -hmm. on a lot of this terrain. For sure. So it's not a bad idea if you're going to be in an area that would reward stiff shoes, spending some time in the gym climbing in those you're gonna your footwork's gonna be better because you're gonna understand the shoe Absolutely. a little better yeah there's there a foot technique that you've brought up a couple of times in different conversations that is really found outdoors a lot not found in in the gym nearly as much and i think there's some others as well so i'd love to talk about those and i can't remember what you call it but it's essentially like paddling up the wall to a high foot oh yeah so i call that one the tic-tac-toe drill um basically every you would do it with open feet generally because there's not usually enough options on the wall to make it work with just the holds that are set on the route uh but for every hand move you'd make you'd make three foot moves um and not just not just tapping each foot each foothold with your foot, but actually transferring weight between each foot as you walk your feet up to the next foothold that you want to use for the following move. Um, this is a really important skill on less vertical or more vertical terrain. Um, and especially on limestone where there's a lot of, a lot of situations where you're kind of walking your feet up, uh, on something like sandstone where there's maybe less options at lower angles, like Mm -hmm. somewhere like red rocks. It's like, that's the foothold and that's the foothold. And you're just high stepping between. Um, Yeah. But on lower angle limestone, a lot of the time, the handholds are poor enough that you can't really lean back to make room to bring your foot up. And so being able to walk them up the wall and transition your weight around those positions is really, really important and rarely seen in the gym unless you've got, setters at your facility that set very complex sequences yeah totally i think the there's another situation you rarely see indoors that that we'll see most often outdoors is you know really having to 
turn your hip out in order to get into the usable side of a foothold. Mm-hmm. Um, indoors, what happens is even if the hold is facing away from you, very often it's big enough that you can just paste your foot on the bad side of it and jump or something. Yeah. Um, and and outdoors, it, you know, if it's a pocket facing the wrong way or an edge facing the wrong way, you don't have that option to smear on the backside of it. You have to be able to kind of step around. And, you know, I, I don't even know if there's a name for this. I've always called it koala foot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know sure. what it's called. It's called koala foot now. It, exactly. <laughs> it will be after this. And so you're essentially just like turning your hips out and then pressing back toward your body mm-hmm. with the foot. Um, like to, to, you're just to towing yourself, in really Towing hard. in on yeah. something that's not facing you. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to practice in the gym if you force yourself mm-hmm. not to just step on the backs of holds, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, a lot of a lot of this transition from climbing in the gym to outside is just forcing yourself to make things harder in the gym in ways that you're probably going to be really uncomfortable with. Yeah, totally. It's, you know, I, I love gyms. I'm not throwing shade at gyms at all. I, I think they're an amazing tool, but I've done an episode in the past. Nate and I did an episode on the ways your gym's holding you back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that they mean to. It's just this is the easiest way to build a gym and make these great roots in the gym, but they might not always prepare you the best way for outside. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Let's take a let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with the final two. Are you searching for a training structure that actually works? For over a decade, we've helped climbers prepare for their goals. We've seen patterns emerge, showing what's most effective for each level of climber. Those patterns became our proven plans, a training system that you can follow from complete beginner to V double digits. Delivered through our mobile app with workouts geared toward your goals and focused on improving not only strength and power, but tactics and mindset as well. Each proven plan comes with a built-in group chat and an option to work directly with one of our coaches. We don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach to climbing. You shouldn't either. All right, we have returned and Taylor, even though she did not get the duo at the top of the episode, much like Nate never gets the duo because I'm <laughs> dated and I'm old, according to Taylor. <laughs> not what I said. Still <laughs> has the the privilege of running this episode. So what's next? <laughs> All right. Next, is, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, actually, as far as sport climbing performance goes, is pacing. Mm. So there's a lot of ways we can think about pacing. Uh, speed is definitely one. Like, how fast are you moving up the wall? Tension is another, I think, for sport climbing. Generally, we need to be efficient unless we have a bunch of extra strength and endurance to burn. Uh, So kind of gauging how much effort we're putting into each move becomes a big thing. Uh, What's the the minimum effective effort that we can exert on each move? Um, Yeah, this is an interesting topic because I think people... When they think of speed, they understand that it's not a like binary thing. Mm-hmm. That it's not you go turtle slow or rabbit fast. There's a lot of speeds in between. But when people often think of tension or effort, they think of it as a switch. Mm-hmm. Like 
either I'm super relaxed or I'm giving 100% or I'm full tension or I'm full relax, you know. But in reality, both of those are also dials that have lots of gray area in between the two extremes. Absolutely. I love that you just used switch and dial because that was kind of where I was going with it all too. Awesome. Um. So in the gym, things are generally set to be quite consistent, uh, which mm-hmm. means you don't really have to think about this as much, especially on sport routes in the gym. You know, maybe they're a little easier for the first few bolts for safety, but uh, there's generally not going to be 511 climbing up to a V7 into 512 minus climbing or something like that. Right, which is common outside. Very common outside. Um, so how do we how do we tackle that in the gym? Um, I think I generally like to start people off with if if they climb at a relatively slow pace, the first drill I like to go to is uh, hot laps. It's basically just, you can do it on boulders or on sport routes, but you just lap the route a few times and try to climb it a little bit faster than you did the time before each time. So you're not going from your standard pace to as fast as you can. Um, You're just slowly ticking it up a little bit. Yeah. And it should feel a little uncomfortable, right? It shouldn't, shouldn't feel like chaos. Like you're just falling all over the place trying to speed climb. Yeah, and what you kind of want to do with that drill is find that line where you can move quickly without sacrificing precision and technique. Um, So in order to find that line, you're going to have to cross it a few times, um, which is kind of what that drill gets at. And then once you find that line, uh, you can transition into thinking about pace as a switch if you've never thought about it before. And as you're climbing up the route, switch between moving slow and moving fast a few times. Once you get the hang for that and how to transition between the two, you can start to think of it more as a dial and finding those in-between spaces. Um, and all the while thinking about why, what, where does it feel like it makes sense to move slow. Yeah, Where does what's, it feel like it makes effective? sense to move fast and why? What's creating that situation? Totally. Important part of it. Yeah. And it's not it's not cut and dry. A lot of the time when the wall is steeper, we want to be moving faster. And when it's slow and more technical, we're going to be slowing down. But there's always going to be exceptions. Um, and something you can do to practice this in a more realistic setting is to create link-ups in the gym. So obviously we want to do this in a way that is uh safe but luckily a lot of gyms have multiple routes on the same anchors um Mm -hmm. so you can start to kind of stitch things together maybe you climb the first half of the easier route on the line and then you do the you do a crux boulder use utilizing a section of the harder route and then switch back or something like that Question for you. Mm -hmm. When I was spending I don't spend much time in commercial gyms anymore, but when I did I almost never saw anyone linking up things like that, Mm -hmm. like switching to a different route just to do the crux and then switching back over or whatever, Um, unless I was coaching them to do that. Yeah. Is it a common thing? Do you see people doing this very often in the gym? Never, no. It's so crazy to me because (laughs) it's such an obvious, seems like an obvious thing. Yeah. You know, we do it at our crags outside where Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I want to link the bottom crux of this into the top crux of that. And 
You know, we've got all these crisscrossing link-ups, but for some reason in the gym, we don't do it. Yeah. I don't quite understand that phenomenon. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure part of it is like some people are just climbing in the gym to climb in the gym and don't necessarily, their goal isn't necessarily to get better at rock climbing. Um, Blasphemy. (laughs) I know. But I think, Sometimes people just don't know. Now they'll know since they listen to this. Yeah, it's such, a, it's such a good tool. And you could come up, you know, if you have four roots on one bolt line, mm-hmm. you could have, I mean, there's... There's endless possibilities. Endless, yeah, possibilities. The other cool thing about doing that, too, is that you you don't have to... I mean, you shouldn't really do it in a way where you're just, like, picking a random point on the climb to switch. Like, look right. at the routes and ha- where it would make sense to link them together. Totally. And that can be a good like route reading exercise as well. Yeah. Um, And those transitions can create some really interesting moves when you're moving from one route to the other. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as like shifting into the effort side of things and the tension, uh, you can kind of progress in the same way where you kind of think of it as a switch at first and then find, find the dial points in between. Uh, but, and, and I think really, you know, like you mentioned before, like really interrogate the process there. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really easy to like, say you found a 510 you're climbing up to, and then there's the crux of a 12 plus here um, that you can shift right into. Uh, maybe that crux is a V6 or something. So you're mm-hmm. climbing V10 into this V6. 510 into V6. and. and you fall on the v6 it would be really easy just to say well it's v6 is too hard for me or whatever Mm -hmm. or that boulder's harder than i thought it was or something Mm -hmm. but really interrogate it did you actually were you successful in going from v10 relaxation mode in or 510 (laughs) god we're both doing it um going from 510 relaxation mode into v6 i need to turn up the tension turn up the effort to do this thing were you unsuccessful in that and that's Mm -hmm. why you fell you you really have to interrogate these things when they're not just perfectly laid out for you you know absolutely um and one thing that can be really a really helpful tool in transitioning between those moments is how you're breathing for Mm. sure um on easier terrain we're generally taking longer deeper breaths um but if you're just chilling and then you have to do a hard boulder it can really help to take a couple like deep quick breaths maybe give like a little preemptive gur to get yourself Mm -hmm. psyched up a little bit more to engage a bit harder and then maybe you hit a rest after that and it's back to long slow deep breaths trying to calm down bring the heart rate down yep and i think you know this is a little bit of a sort of tangent off of this, but wouldn't be a board meeting without a tangent. That's true. Um, you sort of have to understand whether the effort you're about to give is intensive or extensive effort, um, and change your breathing accordingly. So that's something you're going to have to practice in the gym, mm-hmm. I think, uh, to really understand it. And, you you know, it's the perfect place to practice it. So you should do that. Because I've seen a climber who 
was getting through the crux of a thing super casually. You know, it's like slopey compression boulder crux at the bottom. And then it's these like just paddling on edges for the next 30 feet or something. Um, but considerably easier than the boulder he had just climbed. And he would get through the boulder, he'd get to a rest, he'd get calmed down. But then as he started to take off again, he would start doing this heavy breathing mm. because he's like, it's sin time, I need to give effort, even though there was no real intensive effort involved. Uh, and then he would pump out like three moves later, you know, yep. and just blow off the wall. And I'd be like, you were so chill. You were through all the hard climbing. What are you doing? You're ramping yourself up like you're having to do that same boulder problem. Again. Yeah, man. I experienced that for like, I've I've always felt like my strongest point as a sport climber is efficiency. Mm -hmm. And this last winter, I like really dedicated to bouldering a lot more. And when I went back into <laughs> sport climbing in the spring, I it took me several sessions to realize that I was overpowering moves. I'm yeah, like stronger than relax. I've been in the past. I was like, wow, this is I've I've never done that intensive of a bouldering season before. And transitioning to sport climbing was so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. You really yeah. have to learn how to how to change those dials as yeah. you go in order to make the most sense. Mm-hmm. All right, what's next? Next, we've got clipping. So in the gym, we set clipping stances because we don't want people to fall while they're clipping. Right. Because obviously we're trying to mitigate risk as much as we can indoors. Um, outside, bolts are generally placed where it's nice to clip, but as you progress through the grades, the clipping stances aren't always going to be comfortable. Um, so this can be a tricky thing to mm -hmm. transition because I don't want to be just like, yeah, make risky clips in the gym. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe in some scenarios you could, but like if you're going to do that, make sure you're high enough off the ground and have a really good belayer and all of that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. um, also, like you might get yelled at. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I imagine you probably would. I do really like something like sloth style climbing um for really learning to own mm -hmm. weird positions and and i think that you know climb super slow hold the tension all the way through a move that sort of thing helps you feel comfortable when you have to clip in the middle of a move mm -hmm. um, so i like that for it yeah i think that's great if you're someone that gets nervous clipping uh Climbing like one more move before you clip and mm -hmm. kind of practicing that can be helpful. And you can start on routes that you're pretty confident you're not going to fall off of. Um, yeah, I think it's it's great to like get high up on the wall and mm -hmm. see if you can clip bolts at your waist. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And and bolts in the gym are so close together. It's like right. doing that is going to help you get more used to climbing above a bolt to the degree that you will be outside. Like they're not always going to be at your knee when you're clipping the next draw very frequently. Mm -hmm. They're going to be below your feet. Um, so that can be, that can be a helpful way to go about things too. Trying to like take a really deep breath before you pull a rope up to clip can be helpful too, to just calm yourself down a little bit. Yeah. So you're not panic clipping. Yeah. I think if, if you're, if you know you're prone to panic clipping, um, you know, even beyond the deep breath, I might start people by 
telling them like you don't get to clip till you've been there for 30 seconds or something mm-hmm. Oh, 30 seconds. Make them hang time. out there and try to <laughs> try to shake out and try to calm down instead of the panic clip. Totally. Know? Yeah, being practicing resting above a bolt can be can be helpful cuz a lot of the time I think we we break it down to like I just have to get to the next draw and then I'll be mm-hmm. I'll be quote unquote safe again. Um but if you can if you can spend a little time in that space where you're above your last bolt and try to like practice being calm there. That's going to be really helpful. Yeah. And you're going to get outside and rest stances aren't always going to be at a bolt either. You know? And they're not always yeah. in the gym, but gym bolts are close together. You're, you know, pretty often you're going to be near a bolt when you're resting. Yeah. And that's not always the way outside. Either. Yeah. Rest I did yesterday up at Fossil Hill was like my feet were like three feet above my last bolt and I hung out there for a long time. And yeah. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> Yeah, the more comfortable you can get doing that kind of thing in the gym, the better. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as like mitigating it when you get outside, because there's only so much you can do to prepare for that in the gym, uh, you've got a few options. So I think understanding how to use a stick clip, like most people do now, but a lot of people don't still. So if you're if you're someone that is looking at a route that you know will be challenging for you and you're not sure if you can get to the top of it, knowing how to use a stick clip on route is going to be a very empowering tool for you because guess what? If you can't get to the top of it, mm-hmm. you can get to the top of it. Exactly. <laughs> Just not by climbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, that can be helpful to utilize. Um, it also allows you to check out clipping stances on things that are challenging for you before you actually have to climb up to it and be able to hang and clip a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be a good, a good tool. If you're on something that's really hard for you, uh, sometimes you might not clip certain draws for several sessions yeah. without grabbing them or stick clipping up or anything like that. Um, so practicing pulling on into the clipping stance and just holding it as long as you can, can be helpful. And you can already have the draw clipped while you're doing that. And then also like Extending draws is helpful too, obviously. That that gets missed way more often than it should. I know, yeah. You know, the people who put these bolts in may not be your size. They may have put the bolt in on repel and not really known where the rest stance was going to be or the best stance was going to be. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, it's completely just arbitrary in some cases where the bolts are. And if you find that from one hold lower, you could clip better, but you just can't quite reach this quick draw, extend it. And Mm -hmm. then you're going to be clipping it just fine. Yeah. There's no shame in that. (laughs) No, absolutely. I've extended like four times. I do it very frequently. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Especially being like a little bit shorter. And I know where I like started climbing, a lot of the first ascensionists were taller, like, five ten and up and i was always just so locked off clipping draws yeah if i need to have a three clipping in the middle of the crux (laughs) exactly if i need to have a three foot draw on it i'm gonna put a three foot draw on it yeah you know i also think it's really important to especially as you're getting on things that are harder for you or that have hard clips for you make them part of your beta Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times in the gym it's 
and on easier climbing, we we sort of take it for granted that we're just going to be able to clip and we don't consider it in terms of our sequence. But make that part of the beta of the climb, part of the links you have to do when you're working on your project. Totally. You know? I want to link not only to here and then grabbing the draw, but I want to link to there and clipping the bolt, you know? Yeah, I've I've experienced that a lot more frequently, I think, in the last like year or so as I've been trying things that are more limit level for me. But man, sometimes clipping the draw is a move. Absolutely sure. it is. And like yeah. step one, a lot of the time is like just clipping all the draws mm-hmm. and then linking sections and then et cetera. Yeah, there but. are definitely projects where um, I've done it. I know lots of folks who have done it where like session number three on the project is just, all right, today I'm going to clip all the draws without grabbing them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That's a real thing. Or you got to start practicing skipping them if it's safe to yeah, do so. Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah. that's a thing that happens outside too that yep. doesn't happen in the gym. And, you know, all of those things of getting higher above bolts resting above a bolt things like that are going to prepare you for being able to skip a draw when it's safe to do so and it's going to help you do the thing you want to do absolutely that all we got here i guess so all right that's all i got that was quick and efficient and easy your pacing was good Efficiency is my superpower. You moved through the uncomfortable stances just fine. (laughs) This was great. Um, You guys out there in the gym who are planning to go outside and, you know, not exactly sure how to transition these skills, or maybe you've gone outside for a few seasons and you're finding that things are just enough different out there that it's tough for you. I think these are great tips, great drills to use to to brush up on those skills that are going to make it easier for you to have a good time outside frankly you know it's if you're not able to transition the skills that you've got in the gym to the outside it can be really frustrating and totally make you not want to do it and and there's so much fun to be had outside so yeah and i think one last like little note on that point too is like curb your expectations a little bit Mm. if you're used to climbing in the gym predominantly like give yourself some time to transition to climbing on rock it's not the same thing at all totally Um, expect to be climbing at a lower grade than you are in the gym and just be patient with it and go through the steps and you'll you'll catch up yeah absolutely really really smart thing to say we could have just said that first and been done i know (laughs) (laughs) so true yeah uh, you guys know where to find us um you can find taylor as well at tangentclimbing.com at tangent underscore climbing on instagram yeah that's right dang i'm good at this (laughs) and you can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Pinterests, the YouTubes, um, probably several other places I can't remember, at Power Company Climbing. You, are you on Twitter? No. <laughs> nobody, nobody I is know is on... Is anyone actually on Twitter? That's what I'm wondering. I mean, I know people are, but Everybody I don't know I anyone ask. that is everybody's like i'm not on twitter and i'm like who the fuck is on twitter then (laughs) well it's not us because we don't tweet we scream like eagles
This time. 